Blog Talk Radio. This is a new dimension in sound. From Cavalier Basketball. LeBron watching with seven, with six, with five. Who else but LeBron? LeBron to the circle on loads. Got it! I think he prefers game to Indians baseball. One guy that belts it to deep left. Away back. Goal! To Browns football. Back in the pocket. Steps up, goes into the end zone. Up high. Sailing Edwards up. Got it. Touchdown! This is the Waiting for Next Year.com podcast. All right, welcome to the WaitingForNextYear.com podcast. My name is Rock. I'm going to be your host here for tonight's show. Uh, with me, I've got Scott. Uh, how's it going, Scott? Good evening, Cleveland. All right. And uh, we've got uh, one of our guests on the line, but I'm not sure. Is this Bob or we got Amar? It is Bob. Hey, Bob, how's it going? Good, how you doing? Real good. So we've got uh, Bob Schmidt, who is uh, what I like to call the best Cavaliers blogger who is not currently blogging, but uh, you may uh, you may have seen his work over at uh, Cavs Board, and uh, so we're happy to have Bob with us. Uh, obviously, uh, t- tonight's show is going to be centered around the uh, NBA trade deadline, which uh, turned out to be a little bit of a bust. Not much really happened today. Um, so the first question, obviously, is what do you guys think? Are you guys happy that the Cavaliers didn't make a deal, or were you hoping a deal would get done? And I'll toss it to you first, Bob. Uh, well, I think for me that would probably be contingent on, on what deal had potentially gone down today. I mean, I, I had my concerns about all the Shaq rumors we were hearing today simply from the standpoint of where he would fit in our rotation. Um, I mean, we all saw what happened in Los Angeles when Z was out of the lineup, how the big men just clogged the paint and made it tough for LeBron to get to the rim. Part of me feels like even if that Shaq deal had gone down, the type of big man that Z is is a much better fit for the offense that we have. But I think this year, in general, compared to last year, was maybe a little tougher as a fan just because, A, we seem much closer to being a serious title contender this season, obviously, and then, B, last year's deal was kind of out of the blue. I don't think a lot of people saw it coming ahead of time, whereas this time around you're hearing Anton Jameson, Marcus Camby, Richard Jefferson. And so, you know, it was tough not to get excited about the possibilities and then to have nothing happen. I guess in that regard it's kind of a disappointment, but I'm certainly not disappointed with, you know, the team that's in place so long as they can stay healthy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, with, with a lot with, with what Bob said. You know, last year at this time the the big name – you know, in a lot of the circles was, was Michael Red. Uh, we had some Kirk Heinrich rumors. And, and it wasn't anything that would, you know, was getting a lot of national media attention. And I don't know if it's, you know, because of the economy or just because of the uh, expectations that a lot of teams had out west when they signed these and traded for these big names in the off season that just didn't pan out. Um, you know, the Clippers really wanted to move Baron Davis. Uh, his name wasn't floated anywhere because no one wanted to touch his contract. Um, if can be, and you know, the, you know, the, the, the puzzling thing to me was the fact that Washington did nothing. Um, not necessarily did I want, you know, would I have liked them to do something that obviously would have impacted us in a positive way? Yes, but I don't know. You know, I, I think. It speaks volumes for what Ferry obviously probably tried to do with a team that is such a high salary, 
you know, cap position right now is going to have a high draft pick that they're going to have to pay. Um, they have, they're one of the worst teams in the East and still did nothing to address these issues. And I, I think the fact that we did nothing, you know, is it disappointing from, from a fan perspective based on the rumors that we had, you know, with, with Amari or Marcus Camby? Yeah, but again, I, I'm glad they didn't make a move for the sake of making a move. Um, would I have liked them to improve somewhere? Uh, always, but I'm not. I'm not too beat up about the fact that they didn't do anything. Yeah, I, and that's really a good point you bring about the the Wizards. That's certainly a whole different scenario they find themselves in, where they've sort of been trying to do the same thing year in and year out, and now they they're sitting there talking about having to get rid of a draft pick because they can't possi- possibly afford to pay that pick. And that just kind of seems so backwards to me when you're looking at, well, they're hanging on to a core that hasn't won them anything, hasn't been out of the first round there. Um, so that was a little bit confusing to me. Um, you know, I think for the most part, um, I'm okay that the Cavs didn't make the trade because I like the position that this team is in. But I am a little bit worried about uh, matching up with the team, specifically the Lakers, and seeing the way they dominate the Cavaliers in the paint. Um, so maybe I'm a little bit concerned from that, but for the most part, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to complain too much about, uh, a team that's sitting here at 41 and 11, you know, I mean, you know, it's not the end of the world that they didn't, uh, get any trades done. Um, but I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit, what role do you guys think the economy, um, you know, we keep hearing them talk about the economic factors across the NBA and, uh, the potential of the lowering salary cap, the lowering of the uh, luxury tax rate. And so you would have thought all these teams are going to want to hustle to get even further below some of those uh, lines that they already thought they were. But yet today was eerily quiet, um, no real big trades. Were you guys surprised by the lack of trades, especially out of maybe even the contending teams, that they weren't able to find teams that were looking to just slash salary any way possible? Uh, did that did that surprise you guys, that not just the Cavs didn't make any trades, but nobody was making trades? You know, if, if you don't mind, Bob, I'll take this one first. It's, it seems that this day is becoming, I don't know if it's because of the media or if it's because of the Internet and everything, all the different channels that information is being pumped out in today's day, that the NBA trade deadline is slowly becoming, you know, one of the most overhyped days, you know, aside from, like, New Year's Eve. It, every year we hear, you know, these possible names that could move. And even with the Cavaliers, you know, five, ten years ago, when the big trade that the Cavaliers ended up pulling off was getting Yuri Welsh. I mean, that was I, – I, I just think – yes, it's surprising just because of the fact that we did hear a lot of bigger names than normal. But to me, if you, even if you look at the past trades, you know, the years in the past, no, I, it, it doesn't surprise me. And I do think that the salary – issue with next year with the economy obviously not helping things much and and 2010 is is still looming on a lot of teams minds and it i think it's getting dangerously close to the point where there's going to be more teams dumping space now for 2010 that won't be able to act on it come 2010 because it's i think it's going to be a big wave and some teams are going to benefit from it and i think a lot of them are going to be left in the dust yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm pretty much with you on, on most of what you said there. I, I think the other thing is, I mean, since so many of these trades this season have kind of been centered around clearing space for 2010, 
the pressure really isn't on a lot of these teams until, you know, trade deadline next year. I mean, if some of them felt underwhelmed, like you kept hearing that with Milwaukee, with Jefferson, that, you know, they're waiting for someone to sweeten the package. It's like, well, if, if teams really are in a mode of trying to cut salary by that summer, they still have this summer to do it when they have, you know, draft picks they could bundle with it, and they're going to have next trade deadline to see, you know, who goes all out to try to get under the cap by that summer to do it too. So if, if you know you're going to be a seller-dweller regardless, if some of these teams are just going to be kind of biding their time trying to stockpile draft picks and get prepared to make a run, you know, within a couple of years with salary cap space, I don't know that they necessarily felt the pressure this trade deadline to do it. Yeah, I think you guys both bring up a lot of uh, a lot of really excellent points about that. Um, let me let me switch gears a little bit with this and ask you guys a little bit of a different question. And you know, I'm I'm really I'm not a very big conspiracy theory guy. That's really not usually my thing. I I tend to see things being much more black and white than that. Um, but I have to ask you guys about this. Um, for so long, we've always heard, you know, the value of the expiring contract and what that was worth. And you heard people talking about, you know, oh, Portland was getting more offers for Rafe LaFrance just because of, uh, of that, what they call the super expiring deal. And so we've always heard about how much value there is in expiring contracts. And you've seen teams, um, you know, legit title contending teams basically fleece other uh, non-contending teams because they're saying, hey, we're doing you a favor, we'll throw you an expiring contract, and, you know, we'll take that big high-priced star off your hands for you. Well, now, you know, they're stockpiling all the assets. Well, this year, from the beginning of the season, we've we've sort of expected that Wally Zerbiak's expiring contract would be traded. You know, we've made jokes about it and and whatnot, but we've always expected that that deal was going to get uh, get done at some point. But it seemed like Danny Ferry kept running into a situation where it seemed like teams kept trying to ask for more back. That nobody was willing to just hand over uh, the good players for that expiring contract. And you guys think that the value of the expiring contract isn't what it used to be? Or is it possible that uh, GM saw the way, you know, and to use Memphis as an example, but the way the Grizzlies were just skewered by people for the, the way they handled the uh, Pau Gasol trade, and do you think that GM saw that happen and said, you know, I don't want to be known forever throughout history as the GM who gave the Cavaliers the, piece, the last piece they needed to win multiple championships? Um, so I just wanted to kind of get your guys' take on why it was so hard for Danny Ferry to find a fitting deal for uh, Wally Zerbiak. And, uh, Bob, I'll let you take that one first. Well, I think it's just, you know, mindset of the teams. I think there's a lot of expiring contracts out there beyond Rafe LaFrance. I mean, you saw all the ones that went down in the last couple of days with, with Drew Gooden and Chris Wilcox getting moved twice, actually, after the Chandler deal was rescinded. and. You're hearing all this stuff about Joe Smith. I mean, there was a lot of people. They may not have had the size of deal that, that Wally did. I mean, finding $13 million expiring deals were few and far between. But there was a lot of people who had expiring deals to move. And if I'm a team who's going to unload in a, you know, a, a legitimate talent just in hopes of dumping some payroll, there's a lot of teams that I could choose amongst in hopes of getting the best possible package. I think it's easy to look at what we had on the books and say, okay, well, you know, any team would love to get rid of $13 million in payroll if they're in cost-cutting mode, but then it's just a matter of, and, and I don't fault him for this, you see it a lot. You see, you know, very, if, if he doesn't feel like it's a definitively beneficial move, if he feels like it could just be a wash, um, and, and I don't necessarily fault him in the case of what you were hearing with the Phoenix deal, for example, when they were saying it was going to be Shaq, but Phoenix wanted Wally and Pavlovich, 
Well, look at our backcourt right now. I mean, everybody's dinged up. And I'm not saying it wouldn't be great to add Shaq, but then you're also running the risk that while he's playing pretty good ball, I mean, yes, he's an expiring deal, but I never would have thought we would get as much out of Wally this year as we are. Do you really want to risk losing two, you know, kind of backcourt presences, even though Wally plays a little four from time to time and a little three, uh, mm-hmm. when when you don't know. You don't know who's going to be healthy getting into the playoffs. So you're, you're really risking a lot of backcourt depth, and the ones you're leaving behind are smaller guards like Gibson and Moe and even West to a certain extent if he comes back. He's certainly not a huge guard despite the fact that he plays bigger than that. So I, I don't know. As far as team to team, I just think it's there are so many teams in that mindset of get under by 2010 that there's a lot of teams trying to accommodate that by saying, well, we have contracts that are either expiring this year or expiring by 2010, and that's the other thing. It's not just this year. A lot of teams are like, well, you know, Brad Miller's virtually an expiring contract because, yes, he has another season, but the only summer that's relevant to all these teams is that summer of LeBron and Bosch and Wade and all those guys. Yeah, and I, I, the thing that I, I kind of not fault very for with, in regard to Wally, uh, and, and Bob touched on a lot of it, is when Delonte West went down, the value of Wally and his contract you know, pretty much skyrocketed in terms of what he means to Ferry and, and the Cavaliers. And that value, you know, it's it's kind of like one of those baseball cards where it means a lot more to you than it does to the person that could potentially buy it. And there aren't a lot of teams out there now that need a, a, a swingman off the bench. Um and the fact that Rafe LaFrance didn't get moved, I think, shows a lot of that. Because if there's any GM right now in the league that needed to do a little bit of disaster recovery, it's 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 Portland's Kevin Pritchard after that whole Darius Miles debacle. And for him to not, you know, take 50 cents on the dollar for for LaFrance, I think, you know, shows that a lot of teams, like you said, Rock, aren't willing to, you know, just bite the bullet, you know, and receive nothing aside from from cap space relief. Um, you know, and a lot of those, you know, that guys that Bob mentioned, like like the Chris Wilcox, like the Drew Gooden, you know, those, I think the big men at, at this stage in the game mean a lot more to other teams than than, than swing players. And and like I said, and Wally, while he does have a great expiring contract, um, I think, you know, while I, w- I wish we could have got more out of it, I I would be very very surprised if if ben, if if we end up doing the same thing with Ben Wallace next year, then I think we we have a big issue. Um, but. As of, as of right now, I, I I think with the economy as well as you know the GMs not wanting to be on the on the on the bad side of a fleecing, I think I'll, I'll play into it. Yeah, I, I agree with most of that. Um, look, looking around the league, as I mentioned, um, not a lot of big deals went down, especially amongst the the contending teams. Um, one trade that did get done, though, was uh, the Orlando Magic finding a way to acquire Rafer Alston uh, to fill in at the point guard position uh, after Jameer Nelson went out. Um, I wanted to get your guys' take on that. Do you guys uh, you know, think that was a good move for uh, the Magic, and do you think that puts them – I mean, obviously, you know, Rafer Alston is not Jameer Nelson. I'm not trying to say that, but do you think that this makes the Magic a little bit more of a concern for the Cavs? Can they fight with uh, Cleveland and Boston? For the you know top two positions in the East, are you guys worried about that at all, um, Scott? I'll let you take it this one first. You know, I do think it, it helps them a lot. Um, you know, while Ray Ferrellson isn't exactly you know an all-star point guard like Jameer Nelson, he is a guy that that is can be pretty lethal from outside. Um, 
he, he he's no stranger to you know six seven assists per game and in fact of the matter is he's not going to be relied on to to do all that much. Uh, Richard Lewis and Dwight Howard are going to be that offense along with Hito Turkoglu. Um and they went from having Johnson and you know Courtney Lee playing out of position at the guard spot to now having an actual point guard again and. You know, he's not going to put up Nelson-type numbers, but, again, I, I don't think he's going to have to. And as long as he puts up numbers better than what you know, they would have gotten out of out of the two aforementioned guards, I, I think it's it's a it's definitely a step in the, in the direction that o- Orlando needed to go to capitalize on the season they're having right now. Yeah, Bob? Well, you know, I mean, I, I, think, it, I think it helps, being that they basically gave up nothing, but by the same token, I mean, I, I don't know that it – I was worried about him before. I don't know. I'm I'm that much more worried about him now because I, I think while they don't necessarily, I mean, it's nice to have a more traditional point guard, I suppose, in the sense that, like Scott was saying, they were playing Courtney Lee out of position, but Reddick was seeing more floor time and he was actually knocking down some shots. I don't think that's a team on the perimeter that's lacking for you know offense, and I don't know that Rafer Austin kind of provides the, the the defense that Nelson brought. I mean, he'll he'll keep you honest, I guess. Three point shooting, he's about. You know, like a 35% three-point shooter, but at the same at the same time, I don't know if it's if it's enough that I'm any more worried because I still think even without Jameer Nelson, if guys are hitting their shots on the perimeter, Orlando is just as dangerous of a team as they were, you know, before his injury. I mean, that team is built on solid defense and you know getting Howard kind of getting our big men in trouble and guys hitting outside shots. There's so many guys on that team that can shoot the three ball that it's you know even with Nelson going down. If those guys can stay hot, I think they could overcome that injury anyway and at least give us a hell of a series, if not, you know, challenge us for, you know, positioning in the playoffs. And I, th- I think yeah. the two things that, that won't be talked about as much, in, at least in regard to Cleveland specifically, are the fact, I mean, look at what happened to Houston in a matter of a couple months. Uh, you know, going from having McGrady, Artest, Yao, and Alston, and uh, I uh, the – the uh, Spanish forward, I can't think of his name, uh, that the power forward. Uh, yeah. To to pretty much just blowing up the entire season now that, that McGrady went down. And I think or, um, Orlando, I, while that they made that move for now, they gave up a first-round draft pick. Um, for, and they thinking the same thing we are, though, that, uh, you know, a first-round draft pick will be buried at the bottom of the first round. So maybe that's you know, maybe you justify that thinking that's enough to push you over the top. Right. I mean, but not if they keep playing like they did against New Orleans the night before. Um, you know, that, that draft pick, you know, slowly, you know, starts to creep back up the up the ladder a little bit. And I don't think Orlando's in any danger of falling out of playoff contention as of right now. But, um, you know, I, you know, Memphis now has another first-round draft pick, you know, for and they dealt with their backup point guard. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, where that, you know, would fall in, you know, in terms of valuing what you know, Cleveland could have done, you know, to upgrade. But I, you know, yes, he's an upgrade over a now injured Jameer Nelson. But you know, long term, I don't, you know, I guess that remains to be seen. Yeah, yeah. Johnson was was. I mean, he was playing decently. He certainly wasn't Jameer, but by the same token, I mean, he had a couple big games since the injury and. It just seems like I feel like they've got a lot of bodies in the backcourt, and and not any single one of them jumps out at me as saying, "Well, this is the guy that's going to step up 
amongst the injuries. I feel like they're just going with the platoon system and just hoping that each, you know, every night two of the four or five rotation guys will bring it. Did they still have Tyron Lou? Yeah, they, they traded Bogans for Lou. I think they kept him. I mean, I haven't seen anything saying that they waived him, but I know they have, okay. you know, Lou, Reddick, Lee, Johnson, and now Alston all kind of in that one-two position, depending on where you're See, now that, that's the part that I say that confuses me a little bit on the Orlando front. Not to, not to you know, go on too much of a tangent about this Orlando thing. We can, we can move on in a second. But, you know, Bogans wasn't a very bad player for them. I mean, he was a – he was – you know, streaky at times, but he had a, he had a good outside touch, and he's been there forever. And to trade him, you know, and he, he had a pretty good expiring contract as well. To trade him for for Lou, if you're not going to use Lou now, if Lou's the third man on the totem pole as point guard, you know, was that move? You know, I think yeah, they had now they have Alston, but was moving Bogans the right thing to do? I'm I'm not sure. I, I think when I when I sorry, go you know, when I, I just think that with with Orlando. I think that in some ways they needed this trade more for the psyche of the team than anything else. Because when I watched that team, after Jameer Nelson went out, they looked lifeless. I mean, they just looked like the air had just been sucked out of that team. And I felt like they needed to do something. And and that's where I think you can sell this that, okay, you know, we traded for Alston, we we found a stopgap. I think it can just it can give them a, just a little bit of a of a you know even to look at comparing maybe a little bit to the Cavaliers last season. The Cavaliers they were stuck in neutral. They weren't going anywhere, and uh, I think Danny Ferry realized that, and it was sort of a you know we got to stop the bleeding here and do some do at least something, and that's where what fostered the Cavaliers trade last year. And I think that's kind of what the Magic's mindset with this deal was. They just said, look, we're you know we got to stop the bleeding here, and I think that's that's what they were trying to do. And that's where you know Ray for Alston's not a guy that you're going to look at and say, oh my gosh, you know now they have Ray for Alston. But I think it could be almost a smaller intangible deal um, that can help that team out. Um, but I wanted to maybe if we uh, we'll, we'll shift the focus back a little bit more to the Cavaliers here um, and talk about uh, what what's going to happen now. Um, now that you're going to start seeing some guys try to get their buyouts, um, as well as some guys who are you know questionable: are they retired? Are they not retired? So some free agents who are out there. Um, you're going to be hearing names: Joe Smith, uh, Mikey Moore, uh, Brian Windhorst brought up uh, Robert Ory's name, who has not ruled out a return, and mentioned that Robert Ory, you know, has a friendship with Danny Ferry. So, uh, what are your guys' thoughts on these guys? Um, any of those guys interest you? Is there anybody else out there that you think the Cavs should pick up, or do you think the Cavs should just rest with what they have um, and, and and see what they can get with what they have, uh, Bob? Well. Uh... I wouldn't mind Moore or Joe Smith, but my decision on which one of those guys I'd take, I mean, all things being equal, if I knew Boston wasn't going to end up with the other one, I'd say, well, kind of wait it out, see if you can get Joe Smith. But there's no guarantee he'll get bought out. And if my choice is, well, you know, give Moore a shot, even though I don't so much care for him as an individual, uh, he definitely has a decent mid-range game and he, he takes some charges. I think, you know, he'd be worth He'd be worth having around just for depth purposes if it meant keeping him off of the Celtics roster. That would be my bigger concern is what big man are they going to pick up? Because you hear, oh, Joe Smith is buddies with Garnett. You hear, you know, more could end up in Boston. Right now, Joe hasn't been bought out. And I don't know what you do here. Do you wait and let more go to the Celtics and not even try to grab him up with the, you know, mid-level money that you have left over? Um, because the Cavs could certainly outbid the Celtics, but that's not to say that he would even want to play in Cleveland. 
and there's no guarantee that Joe Smith would want to do that if he gets bought out. You would think he wouldn't mind doing it, but what's to say that that would be his preference over Boston? I mean, I think those two guys, you know, logically they make the most sense. I don't know about Ori. I, I don't really feel like he has much left in the tank, and I certainly don't feel like he's the sort of big man necessarily that we need. I would rather have a guy who has, you know, a decent mid-range offensive game, but is still, you know, a pretty solid rebounder and defender for what we can get. I mean, because we need size. We need interior size. And if anything got me worried over the course of time that we've played the, you know, legitimate top-tier teams, it's how we've had showings against the Lakers and then to a lesser extent against Orlando when Howard kind of had his way there too. Yeah, it's it's almost identical to what I was going to say. The one thing is I just need to not hear, you know, between now and March 1st is Reggie Miller's name because there's no way that he's going to, you know, come out and sign with someone as much as they try to hype him up. But um, it, it, along those Robert Horry lines, but the, the same thing. Um, if if Moore and or Smith, you know, test, test the waters and the Cavaliers do offer them the entire mid-level and they sign with a contender, I, I think it's, you know, it's going to be pretty brutal just based on what happened with Antonio McDice. Um, you know, I, you know, there were those rumors that he, he was, McDice is now, you know, regretting signing with Detroit. But I, th- I think, you know, this, this area is sick of seeing these potential additions to their teams sign with, cont- or, you know, our main rivals. And if, you know, neither Moore nor Smith would be bad additions. Obviously, we want Smith over Moore uh, based on what he's given us in the past. And I think just as over all-around game, Moore does bring a lot of intensity. Um, those playoff series against Cleveland, I mean, that guy did what he could to, um, to, to, to help his team win. And, you know, while, while you know, Washington didn't win. You know, it wasn't as as the fault of Moore, and you know he is a little undersized uh, for a big man. But if we put, a, you know, if we need him as a power forward, you know, he does have the mid range game. He can shoot free throws if needed. Um, I I I I don't think that Danny Ferry's asleep at the wheel on this, and I do I do trust that he would do what he can to try to get one or the other if if he did know that Smith wasn't going to get bought out. Um, but you know, I think it's going to be another one of those. You know, the next week and a half are going to be full of rumors on who's going where, and until something is actually reported as done, I, I'm not going to be getting my hopes up. Yeah, you know, Mike Moore is a guy that, you know, for all the things he lacks, he does have some playoff experience, and uh, I, I do think he would bring uh, a certain grittiness and a toughness uh, to the front court that the Cavs could certainly use. Obviously, we know what Joe Smith brings to the table. That guy's about as rock solid as it gets. I mean, he's just he's a dependable guy that you can rely on to you know do what he does. He's not going to try to do too much. I think either of those guys can help the Cav- Cavaliers. What's going to be interesting to watch, I think, is the fact that Boston and Cleveland both have the same need. They both would like to pick up a veteran guy that can uh, fill in in the front court. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if those two teams get in a staring match over Mikey Moore. Who, who's going to pull the trigger first on that and risk whether Joe Smith is going to get bought out or not? Because that's what's interesting. You know Mikey Moore is available. He's, he's, he's already been cut. So 
you can have Mikey Moore if you want, but if you would prefer Joe Smith, do you sign him now because, or do you sign Mikey Moore now because you know he's available, or do you risk it and wait and hope that Joe Smith becomes available? And that's what's going to be interesting to watch between the Cavs and the Celtics. Are they going to, you know, have a staring contest to see who blinks first on that, um, or will one team just say, you know what, we're going to just go ahead and we're going to get Mikey Moore right away? That's going to be interesting to see. Um, but anyways, we are uh, coming up on here just a couple minutes left in the show. Um, I wanted to ask you guys this question. Um, I, I'm a little bit bothered by the public perception of there's a, there's a lot of negativity it seems like over the fact that uh, the Cavaliers didn't make a move. You, whether you, I don't know if you guys saw the ESPN.com uh, headline today that said "Sorry, LeBron," and, and uh, you know I was asked this the question and uh, I was participating in a live blog and I was asked the question, if the Cavaliers don't win a title this year, will LeBron leave and will this forever be remembered as Ferry's biggest blunder, not being able to move uh, Wally Zerbiak's contract? And it just baffles me, that line of thought, because the way I'm looking at it is, how can that be seen you know, as Ferry's failure to not you know, as Scott was saying, to not take 50 cents on the dollar, that, you know, Ferry looked at what his options were and uh, he made the call. And to say things like, you know, sorry, LeBron, well, LeBron has made it perfectly clear he's happy with this team. He was not asking for a trade. Um, he felt comfortable with this team. So I just kind of want to get your guys' take on that, on this sort of public perception that somehow this was a big blunder that uh, the Cavs weren't able to move Zerbiak's contract. What's your guys' take on that? Well, I, I'll go first if that's okay with you, Scott. Go ahead. Well, I, I mean, at least for me, the, the thing is I don't think most of the immediate reaction you get considers the long term. I mean, it would be great to add talent. It would be great to add a guy who had talent and was still off the books by 2010, but sometimes that situation just doesn't come up. And as far as, you know, second-guessing Ferry or, or what he's done, there's still another season where both Z and Ben Wallace are going to have expiring deals. There will be other chances to move people. Yeah, it'd be great if Wally's contract didn't just come off the books and we ended up letting him walk. But by the same token, realistically, who knows what Ferry's thinking in terms of how he wants to use the money he'll have before you know LeBron gets re-upped, how much of it he wants to keep free to be able to use in an actual free agent market as opposed to just trading players for other players who he thinks are better fits. I mean, if you want to look at everything on the surface in the here and now, would we like to have upgraded talent? Absolutely, but I don't think you can question the moves Ferry has made on the trade market. And, and you know, I'll give the guy the benefit of the doubt until he makes a Yuri Welsh-type trade. Yeah, and, you know, he turned, you know, a lot of water into wine, especially with, you know, the Mo Williams deal. Um, the only thing that I wish we would be able to know and I don't think will ever come out are the deals that Ferry passed up on between – you know, when the, the the mania started and 3 o'clock this afternoon, because I really have a feeling that there might have been a sense of greed. And, you know, and like I mentioned before with the with the, the valuation of, of Zerbiak, um, that, I you know, Ferry was holding out. He wasn't going to trade Zerbiak unless he had a home run. You know, we hear, how many times did we hear that, you know, over the course of the season? And you have to wonder, even if he didn't get that home run, you know, were there any doubles that were offered our way? Um, you know, even not even with Serbiak, but I know with Eric Snow and how, you know, that contract was, you know, essentially not even going to be moved regardless. But if that could have got us something like like a Chris Wilcox, um, and it was a purely financial move that kept that 
from not happening. That's the thing I think fans can have a legitimate gripe about. Um, I think the the Brad Miller, uh, John Salmon's deal it put a cog in things. I, I don't think that was expected to happen at the time it did and kind of made everybody take a step back. I, I, I want to believe that, you know, the Clippers were actually listening to us about Marcus Camby, and we were just kind of not offering exactly what they wanted to get him here. And I don't want the team to make a trade, again, for the sake of making a trade, but I would like to know what the options were that were passed up that ultimately led to nothing happening. Um, I do think a lot of fans prefer to gripe, you know, just for the sake of griping. And specifically to your point about ESPN, they look for any way they can to make it look like Cleveland isn't doing enough for LeBron James. But in the end, I I don't think LeBron himself is upset about not having anything move, and I don't think that Danny Ferry is at fault for this not happening. Yeah, I agree with with all of that. Um, all right, well, we've come up on our uh, half hour here, so uh, we'll wrap it up here pretty quick. Um, any uh, last thoughts or comments uh, either of you guys have? No, March 1st, uh, day that a uh, player has to be signed to another team before he can be on the uh, playoff roster. I think that's the, the big deadline now. If we can uh, see what happens to Joe Smith, if and when he gets he gets bought out. Um, otherwise, it's Mike, Mikey Moore is going to be the hot name in the NBA between now and uh, beginning of March. Yeah, uh, pretty much my sentiment. Just wait it out, try to get healthy. Keep winning and uh, see what you can add when that that stuff shakes out. All right. Well, that sounds good. Um, I'd like to thank our uh, guest tonight, uh, Bob Schmidt, uh, for joining us. It's good hearing from you, Bob. Good to, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yep. And I'd like to thank my co-host, Scott. And uh, I'd like to thank all you guys for checking us out. Uh, remember, as always, if you want to send in any questions or comments, you can at podcast at waiting for next year. Dot com. Uh, thank you for joining us, and have a good night. Strike three called ball game. This has been the WaitingForNextYear.com podcast. For complete coverage of the Browns, Indians, Cavaliers, and all your Cleveland teams, log on to WaitingForNextYear.com. Contact us on the Internet. Thank you, and good day.